How's everybody doing? Listen, I, I, I was thinking about this this morning. I am so excited because I get to speak God's word to you this morning. And here's the thing for the two of you that are excited about that statement I just said. <laughs> is that it's God's word that changes people's hearts and lives. Now, I was out yesterday. We got the cider donuts and the cider. So I don't know if it's the spirit of God or the cider speaking right now, uh, or if it's a little expired. I don't know. But I'm excited to speak God's word to you because I believe the gospel message is the only message that can change people's hearts and lives. And, and so the, the, the title of the message today was, I, I Need Some Good News. I'm changing it. So just just erase that. And I changed the message this morning. And the message that I want to just give you, the title today is going to be, Don't Mess with the Message. Let's all say it together. Don't mess with the... You guys are ready. The first service, oh my gosh, I don't know what happened. But we're, we were there. They were there. But it, it, you guys are here. You're ready. Don't mess with the message. So what, what we're, we're going through the book of Acts and how the early church was started. And we're in Acts chapter 15 today. And... Acts chapter 15 is so pivotal because someone wanted to mess with the message. Have, have you ever, has this ever happened to you where you experienced something really good and you were so excited about it and then you tell somebody about it and, they, and, they, and they're like a Debbie Downer? I'm sorry if your name's Debbie, but it's just a saying, okay? You know, Doug Downer, if your name's Doug, I'm sorry, whatever. And they, they, they like, they throw something in there just to make you like, oh, it's not that great, Right. This is exactly what's happening in the church. You've got the gospel message going forward. People's lives are being changed. People are being excited. And then you had some false teachers start to infiltrate the church to try to mess with the purity of the gospel message. So what I want to do for you today is talk about the gospel message, how we cannot mess with that message. The gospel message has to be paramount in our lives today. With all the other voices we're hearing today, with all the polarization from political sides, we need the gospel message as the church so that we do not stray. Somebody say amen. All right? So this is important, and this is what the early apostles fought for, that the early church would not derail off a false message. And, and listen, as your pastor, I'm, I hate to say this, but there's a lot of messages out there, even within the church, that is derailing the purity of the gospel message. And we need to come back to that purity today. We need not only come back to that and make sure we're on track with that as a church, but individually we need to understand what that message is because it's that message that changed the world, that, is, that, that, that will ultimately change lives for eternity. I remember when I was a youth pastor in 1996, I had the opportunity to go to the 1996 Olympic Games. I was a swimmer. I was in the Olympic Games as a swimmer. And, no, I'm just teasing. Um, so I see if you're listening. Uh, we went to witness. It was kind of a great event. We, I was a youth pastor in Charleston, South Carolina, and I took a group of teens. I went as a teenager to the 1984 Olympic Games in Los Angeles on a missions trip because it's just a great opportunity. You've got the world coming to us. And so we used it as an opportunity to share the gospel message with people that came not only from the United States, but around the world. So I took a group of teenagers. I trained them for three to four months on how to present the gospel message. And one of the things I trained the kids in was this. When you talk to people, there are going to be some people that just don't want to hear it. There's going to be some people who are just going to want to argue with you. Like, 
just argue about silly stuff. I said, don't get caught up in those, in those arguments because it's, it's going to derail you from talking to somebody who really needs to hear it. So we went to Atlanta. I felt like I prepared the kids. They were a little nervous, but they were excited. And so we'd go to different venues and just talk to people that were there. We'd, we'd knock on doors. We did all this stuff. So what we did is I had the kids just prepare these questions just to ask people like a survey, like, you know, you know, if you were to, if you were to die and stand before before God, before God, and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Questions like that, you know. Um, and so it was really interesting, the conversations we had. So I remember one time, there's one of my teens came back to me, he goes, Pastor Barn, we're in this 45-minute conversation with this guy, and I'm like, oh, fantastic, what's going on? Did you leave him to the Lord? Are you sharing your faith? He goes, no, he's arguing about the Trinity. I'm like, oh, no, one of these guys. So I'm like, no, just I'm not going to go and waste my time arguing with this guy because their minds may have, they're, they're just trying to derail from other people you need to talk to. So just, just leave them alone. So what we, what we found out in Atlanta from witnessing to many people was that, one, some Christians that we ran into tended to like to argue about things, whether it was then times of this, and they would try to derail you from, derail the kids from talking about the message of Christ. So I said, don't, just go on to the next person. Don't let that derail you. The other thing we found out was this. It was interesting when we would ask people the question, like, if, if you were to die tonight and, and God were to, you know, let you into his, into his heaven and he were to ask you, why should I let you in, in, into my heaven? What would you say? And we're trying to get people to understand what the gospel message was. We're trying to get them away from themselves. Well, I'm a good person. And then we had other things that we could lead into and discussions to have with the person to, to lead them to Christ. It was so interesting that when we'd ask that question, so many people would just say, I'm Episcopalian, and just shut the door. Or, I'm Baptist. We'd ask, I'm like, okay. Or, I'm Presbyterian. We, we didn't ask you that question, um, if you were Presbyterian or Baptist or Assembly of God or Episcopalian. But it was just funny. They, just, they automatically went to what their denomination was or what their religious affiliation was. And what we, what we discovered is that not many people, church-going people, understood what really the message of the gospel was. Now, they went to church, they, they affiliated with a certain denomination, but they didn't really understand the life-changing message of the gospel. They just attached their Christianity to their denomination or what church affiliate they were with. Now, I'm pretty certain that when we get to heaven, um, there's not going to be different sections for different denominations. So I'm, I'm sure... Peter's not going to be there with his reservation book and say, okay, you're Episcopalian? Okay, great. We've got a room over here, section over here. Um, it's real quiet, by the way. It's nice and quiet. You'll love it. Uh, You've got to put a robe on first, so go ahead over there. Um, and then I'm sure he's not going to say, oh, you're more uh, charismatic? Oh, we've got a room over here. They raise their hands over here. Yeah. And uh, they've got drums over there, too. So that's for the cool Christians. The drums are for the cool Christians. And so, oh, you're Catholic? Yeah, we've got a room over here. It's called Purgatory. No, I'm just teasing. I'm teasing, 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 teasing. Listen, that's not going to be the case when we get to heaven. The thing that changes lives is the message, the message of Christ. What have you received in your life? Was it the message of Christ? What are you depending on? And what's, what we're going to see in Acts 15 is there were a group of false teachers who were trying to infiltrate the church with a pseudo-gospel message that could easily tank the church if that wasn't addressed and the early church addressed it. So 
if you've got your Bible, you can look at got your Bibles, look up at the screens or Bibles on your phone. I want you to look at Acts 15 because we're going to that's what we're going to spend time in today. And we're going to look at 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 what happened in the early church and how um, they came against this message. So listen, listen, our biggest struggle for the church is that struggle for unity. Just just understand that it's going to be for union. This is what the early church was struggling for. They were struggling for unity, and unity is something we must fight for. We have to fight for the gospel message. That has to be the central theme of our church, period, is the gospel message. Now, we may have other things that we teach and we believe. Those are secondary to the gospel message. If we are not centered on the gospel message, we will easily go off into right field, as well as your life. And so this is why the message of the gospel is paramount to all we do. So we're going to look at what is the gospel, why is it imperative to our lives, and why it changes our lives and why it keeps us unified. So let's look at what happens here next. 15, we see that Paul and Barnabas, we understand that they've been traveling, they've been sharing the message of Christ, and now they're in Antioch of Syria when some men from Judea arrived to began to teach the believers. And this is what they said. Unless you are circumcised, as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay, that, that's what they're starting to teach. They're starting to infiltrate the church. Well, Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguably, vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. So it, this has become a big deal now. now. Now they're getting a group together. They're having a council, and they're going to talk about this issue. So the church sent delegates to Jerusalem and they stopped along the way to Phoenicia, Samaria to visit the believers and they told them uh, much to everyone's joy that the Gentiles too were being converted. So here's the good news. Through the message of Christ, the Gentiles are being uh, converted. The church is growing. And then when they arrived in Jerusalem for the council, Paul and Barnabas are welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and the elders. They reported everything God had done through them. Everything is going great. But then. Everybody say, but then. It's not good. But then. So everything's going great. Message being preached. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. Aren't you so thankful they didn't follow that? Oh my goodness. Uh, I'm just saying, don't even go there. But anyways, listen, this is what they've done. They've come in, they've infiltrated the church, and they've infiltrated the gospel message. And so, in so many words, there were these false teachers corrupting the gospel message, and the objection was about salvation. What does it take for someone to be saved? What truly makes someone right before God? That is the question. That is the question. What makes someone right before God? Because that is the question. Because that, that's what keeps us from going to heaven. If we're not made right before God, then, then we're still objects of God's wrath and we are still in our sin. Now, you may be here and you're like, I never thought of that question. And I really never thought about it. Maybe you were brought up in church and you're thinking, yeah, that was explained to me. Maybe some of you, I don't really know what it takes to be made right before God. And so that's the question. I'm so grateful that the church my parents started attending when they first became Christians spoke the gospel message. Now, the church I grew up with, I never really thought about 
being right before God. They really never spoke the gospel message about being born again and being made right before God. Now, the church we started to attend, they did. So it made me uncomfortable. So guess what? I didn't like going to that church because it made me uncomfortable. I'm like, okay, they're preaching this, and I don't think I'm there yet. And so they're speaking about being made right before God. And so it challenged my worldview. It challenged my spirituality, whether or not I was made right before God. And so what truly makes someone right before God? See, some wanted to redefine what it meant to be a follower of Christ. So what is the message that makes us right before God? So depending on the way you raised, maybe for some of you, it was just like, okay, I just need to be good. And and many people, when we're in Atlanta, answered the question that way. Why would God allow you into heaven? What was answered? And they, they would say, because I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And maybe you're here today. Maybe you're online. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm a good person. And, and, and God will let me into heaven because I'm a good, good person. But, but how many know we're human? And we mess up. And, and we always mess up a good thing. Right? We just give it time and we will mess up a good thing. So is being good enough to be made right before God? Many people think that. What about just be religious? What, what if I just like... Hey, I'm Episcopalian, I'm Assembly of God, I'm Catholic, I'm this. What if I just attach myself to a religious denomination or my parents were religious and they brought me up in church? Is that enough to be made right before God? Do some religious things. Go to church. Maybe go on Christmas and Easter. Hey, I went to church on Christmas Eve. I went. I was there, man, 15 years ago. But I was there. I was at church. I went Easter because someone invited me to dinner after to have a ham dinner. I mean, I was at church, you know. See, this mindset, just be religious, sets us up for failure because then I have to do more and more to feel better about myself. You see, the reason why just be good or just be religious is dangerous is that we can attach our our identity to those things and not Christ. Listen, listen, get that. Oh, I haven't done this in a long time. Okay, listen. What was happening in the church was this. These people are coming in and saying, okay, let's attach works by what you do with faith in Christ Jesus to make you right with God. The minute we do that, then we add something to our salvation. We bring nothing to the table before God. Nothing. There's nothing good in us that can ever appease a holy God. So the moment I attach some good work or I'm a good person or I go to church or I'm I'm, connected to this religious organization, we take away from the glory of Christ and what he accomplished for us on the cross. Not one amen, but that's okay, that's okay. Listen, 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 listen. When I understand the depravity of my sin and what separated me from God, I then realize how great God's grace and mercy is and what Jesus did on the cross for me. I have to go there. And that's hard for us to hear in a day where we're all snowflakes and everybody's winging, right? Everybody's got their thing. But listen, I don't mean to be offensive there, but I'm just bringing the reality of who we are before a holy God. And so by bringing works into our salvation, we're taking away from Christ's glory and what he accomplished for us on the cross. So at the end of the day, we, you, will never be good enough. We need to hear that today. Because there is so much being mixed into the gospel of the church today 
about saying, well, you are good enough and just accept yourself and just love yourself and blah, 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 and run through a daisy field and smell the potpourri, right? Listen, you are not good enough. We will never be good enough apart from Christ, period. And so what's the solution then? What is the solution? You see, if I, if I follow this type of thinking, of trusting myself or putting some work into my salvation, if I follow this type of thing of just be religious or just be good, then my identity becomes more about what I do than who I trust. My identity becomes more about me and not who I trust. And salvation only comes through complete trust in Christ Jesus and what he accomplished for us. Is your identity more about what you do or about what you trust. And that's why Paul and Barnabas were adamant to come against these false teachers. Because the minute you start going down that road, you end up trusting yourself and your own goodness, and we get further and further and further away from Christ and the purity of the gospel. That's why they're adamant against it. That's why we need to be adamant as a church to make sure we come against any false teachings that come against the purity of the gospel message. No matter how nice people are, how sincere they are. How many know people can be sincere, but they can be sincerely wrong? You know, a clock is right twice a day. You know that, right? A broken clock is right twice a day, right? See, if your identity is more about what you do than who you trust, there's a problem. And so what these false teachers were saying is you must follow these laws in order to be right with God. And so they taught to trust Jesus, add the work, and you'll be justified before God. And this is the message that started to infiltrate the church. So it came in direct conflict of the pure gospel and the message that Jesus came to give us. So the problem is this. If my heart is not changed, then I'm just following a bunch of rules to feel good and to feel good about myself. And so what Jesus did is Jesus fulfilled the demands that God required in order for us to be made right before God. Jesus fulfilled all the required law of God. The laws of God were never meant for us to fulfill them perfectly or to save us. It was only meant to point to our shortcomings before God and his righteous demands. There's no way we could ever follow them. And Peter's going to talk about this in just a minute. All 613 laws, you broke one of them, you broke them all. There's no way, no way could you ever find salvation through the law. And now they're telling them, oh, by the way, in order to be saved, you've got to add a couple laws here to be justified before God. You see, the problem is my heart's not changed and I'm following just a bunch of rules. So no amount of good works can cleanse our hearts from sin. No amount of good works can ever cleanse our, heart, our hearts from, from sin. So the good news is this. The good news is this. There's good news here. There is good news. The good news is Jesus came for sinners, and through Jesus, through Jesus, we are made righteous. The righteousness of Christ, by our faith in him, God now imputes the righteousness of Christ into our life by our faith in Christ Jesus. Not by our works, but by our faith. That's the message. Now, that's the gospel message. Now, I love, Paul drills down on this a little bit further. So he writes to the church in Colossae to, to make sure they understand this gospel message and what Jesus Christ did for them, and gave them a right picture of themselves and a right picture of who Jesus is. I love this. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, 
Listen to what Paul says here. This is golden. This is, this is rich. Listen, this is so good. He said, you were dead because of your what? Sins. Because of your sinful nature, because your sinful nature was not cut away, yet, yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ and forgave what? All your sins. The word all there in the Greek means all. It means everything. All your sins are gone. And then listen to what he says next. He, he, he brings out a picture of the Roman Greco world about what a debt is. This is interesting. So for us, we, we, don't see the, we don't see the word picture, but Paul is painting for us a word picture here of exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. So look at what he says here. He says he canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Now, in the Roman Greco world, there's actually a, a note of indebtedness, a written note to show that you were in debt. And so Paul gives this word picture of saying, here's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. This note of indebtedness was actually nailed to the cross. We were in debt to God because of our sin, and there was no way we could ever pay for that debt in our goodness. There's no way. And so what God does for us is what we can't do for ourselves. He sends his son, perfect God himself, to take our debt upon himself. So now that, that, that indebtedness note is, is nailed to the cross and it shames evil in our world. It shames the devil because now he has nothing to hold over us for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no more shame. There's no more guilt. There's no more fear. And so now what's written on the cross is this, paid in full. Jesus paid our debt in full. He appeased the righteous demands of God all by himself. Us adding nothing to it. That's why Paul was vehemently protesting this false gospel or this pseudo gospel because he knew that if that went through and began to be re received by people, it would lead them back into bondage. And Jesus came to do just the opposite to set us free. Okay, I'm getting hyper. The, the apple cider is working its way in. I, I love it. It's good stuff. Can't wait to do it. Yeah, come on. So I, I appreciate Paul's words here because what he's saying to us is that Jesus paid our debt in full. That's the message. By us trusting in Christ by faith, righteousness is now accredited to us, and we can now stand before a holy God. Amen? I like what Tim Keller says here. He says, through the person, he talks about the message of the gospel is all about Jesus. Through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God fully accomplishes salvation for us, right? Rescuing us from judgment for sin into fellowship with him, and then restores the creation in which we can enjoy our new life together with him forever. Isn't that wonderful? There's a complete change in relationship. See, the gospel will do two things. This is what I love about the gospel. It, it, two things. And maybe you can see yourself in one of these two characteristics. I'm in the first characteristic. So, and then maybe, you, maybe in your life you can see yourself in, in the second characteristic here. But the gospel will do two things. First, the gospel will humble the self-righteous to let them know they cannot be right before God in their own goodness. So the reason why 
Paul adamantly came against the message of works being tied into the salvation message because then what it would do is it would make, look at me and look at what I did. Look at my righteousness and that would water down the message. Now, for me, in my teenage years, that's kind of where I was. When I heard the gospel message in our church that I was a sinner, that I thought that I've fallen short of God's perfection and glory, when I heard the gospel message, at first I resisted. I didn't like it. It was offensive to me. You know why? Because I felt I was good. I did. I, I'm like, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. You know, I hear testimonies of people that have come over great addictions and stuff. And you know what I used to say? I used to say, good for them. Have you ever, has anyone ever said that to you? Patronize that with you? Well, I see that you need Jesus, and that's nice for you. Whatever you need to help you with your life, good for you. Right? Don't you feel like just smacking that person? You know, go ahead next time and just smack that person with your Bible and say in the name of Jesus. No, I'm just, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. But listen, that was me because I thought, well, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not a bad person. But what was I basing my righteousness on? Other people and not God. The God, listen, the gospel message makes you come face to face with God. It does. And so what I did is I came face to face with God and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm better than this person. Then I, but if I juxtapose my life next to Mother Teresa, I'm not, I'm not looking so good now, right? I'm not looking so good. And so what happened is I came face to face with the gospel message and I realized that my sin stunk just as much as everybody else's. And it humbled me. Because I realized I wasn't right before God. And that's what humbled me. That's what made me put my faith in Christ Jesus. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It was the faithfulness of a church and a pastor to preach the message of the gospel that changed my heart. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. I needed to hear the truth. And the truth hurts, doesn't it? But the truth is what sets us free. So maybe that's you. Maybe that's how you were raised. Maybe that's how you're, you are today. Maybe you're like, well, I'm just a good person. Ah, the gospel, you know, that's nice for other people. I want you to realize the gospel message humbles those who think they're all right, who think they're self-righteous. The second thing, maybe you're in this camp. The second thing the gospel does is it gives grace to those who feel far from God and gives them comfort to know they can be forgiven, forgiven even though they feel unforgivable. And maybe that's you. Maybe you just feel like, Pastor Barden, if you just see my layer upon layer of dysfunction, I mean, just messed up past all the bad decisions I've made in my life, how could God ever receive me? How could God ever receive me? And the gospel message is good news for those who feel unforgivable. So Jesus came for those who thought they were close, maybe like the Pharisees or the Jews, and he came for those who were far off, for the Gentiles to bring them all in together. The gospel message is the great equalizer that brings us all together. Those that think they're righteous and those that think they're unrighteous. The gospel message is the great equalizer. Amen. I'm so thankful for the gospel message. See, the gospel message unites us for this reason. We all need help. I need help with my self-righteousness. I need help because I feel far from God and God gives me that help. Those that feel that they don't need help, the gospel humbles. Those that feel they need help, the gospel saves. So let's finish with this. How did the church address this? Peter 
The Apostle Peter does a brilliant job here, and I love how he addresses the church leaders at the council. So how did the early church handle the tension with those who want to impose on the Gentiles these certain laws? Well, Peter hits the nail on the head when he addresses the leaders in verses 6 through 10 of chapter 15 of Acts. This is what he says. So the apostles and the elders met together to resolve this issue. And, after, and, and at the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. He said, brothers, you know all that God chose me, that God chose me from among you <clears throat> some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. He preached the gospel so they could believe. Not to add another work. Not to add another weight upon their lives. But to preach the good news so they could believe by faith. God knows people's hearts. And he confirms that. That he accepts the Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. That God would pour out his spirit on all flesh, Joel prophesied. And I love what he says next. And he made no distinction between us and them. No distinction. For he cleansed their hearts through what? Faith. Not works. Not by another do, 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 do this. By faith. So why are you now? I love what he says here. This is so insightful. He says, why, why then? Are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? What Peter is saying to the leaders, he says, listen, why would we burden the Gentiles with a yoke that we couldn't bear or follow either? Basically, Peter, speaking as a Jew, says, we couldn't keep all the do's and the don'ts. Why would we place that on all the Gentiles? To say, in order to be saved, now you've got to do this, and now you've got to jump through this hoop. And you, Have you ever done, you just, here, if you want to come to church, wait a minute, for, wait a minute, wait a minute. What are you wearing? Okay? Or somebody may say, you know, I don't know if I want to come to church because I don't have any suits. Well, good. Say, so, you know what, we, we don't believe in suits here. We're just, we, we put in our constitution and bylaws no suits at living with. No, I'm teasing. You can wear, if you want to wear a suit, go ahead. But we take that obstacle. We say, hey, you come as you are. But with these false teachers were saying, no, no, not enough. No, it's not by faith. No, no, we've got to put circumstances. No, we've got to put this. We've got to put another hurdle, another hurdle, another hurdle. You know what? Those hurdles never end because once you do one, you've got to do another. Because then somebody else comes. You ever heard of a sidler where someone sidles up next to you? Because I don't know if I like that or not. You know, did, don't you think they should be doing that? Yeah, what are you? And, you know, you're having a good time and you're worshiping the Lord. I don't know, do you like, is the, is the, is, are they off key? <laughs> I don't know, is the guitar, is, is the guitar, are they strung right? Are they, are they in tune? Right? Sidlers. And that's exactly what these false teachers were. They're coming along, sidling themselves up with the purity of the gospel message. And guess what? It never ends. Because if they went there, they would add another thing, and another thing, and another thing, and another thing. That's what happens. I want you to understand something here. That when we come to Christ, it's purely by faith, by God's grace and mercy that we're saved. Thank God for that, right? However, can I put the asterisk there? Does that mean we go back to living like we were before we knew Christ? Okay, let me end here. Okay, not to end on a downer, but let me end here because this is important for us to understand. By no means 
were the apostles ever saying that you're saved by faith, but you can live a sinful life now? They're not saying that. In fact, they actually came up with some stipulations on what the Gentiles shouldn't be doing anymore. They, they didn't say this is a prerequisite for salvation. They're just saying, listen, as followers of Jesus now, there are some things you did in your past you, you shouldn't be doing now. We need to be striving for holiness. So let me say this, let me say this, let me say this. We are saved by grace, but we're called to holiness. We're saved by his grace, but we're called to holiness. I'm going to finish with this verse, and then we're going to take communion. But listen to what Paul says to Timothy. I love this. He says, he has saved us, and he calls us to a holy life. Not because, listen, here's the stipulation, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. So we are not made right before God. Let's answer the question we asked in the beginning. Well, what does it mean to be made right before God? We understand it's only by faith in Christ. God imputes Jesus' righteousness in, in, into our lives. It's not by our works. We're, we, we are not made right before God by our works. Everybody gets that, right? Say amen if you get it. All right, just nod your head, do something. Okay. But our works, listen, we are created in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2.10. We are created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works. But our works should be the fruit of a life changed by Christ. So my question to you is, how are you pursuing holiness? And let me just give you just a couple things as we end. Do not pursue holiness in a way to attempt to try to appease God in yourself. In Christ Jesus, we now pursue holiness because we want to please him. We want to please Christ because of what he's done for us. Does that mean we're going to live a perfect life and never make mistakes? Absolutely not. But we should be pursuing a righteous life in Christ. Not to glorify myself, not to try to gain God's attention or approval. We are approved in Christ Jesus. So God's not sitting up there going, oh man, you messed up again, Bart. Oh man, you messed up again, Bart. Oh man, you messed up again, Bart. You know, listen. The reason why we strive for holiness is for this reason. It's not to gain God to make him love us more because his love is unconditional. Thank God. His love is based in what Jesus did for us. Thank God. Well, God demonstrates his love for us, Romans 5.10. God demonstrates his love towards us that while we were still what? Sinners, Jesus died for us. So it wasn't dependent on you. He demonstrates his love while you were still a sinner. He sent his son to die for you. Thank God for his love and his unconditional love for us. But listen, my pursuit of holiness is seen in my obedience to his word and listening to him and allowing my heart to be pliable and allowing God to change me. Not because I'm trying to gain his, his favor, but because I love him and I'm grateful for his grace. And I don't want anything to come in between my relationship. The reason why God wants us to strive for holiness is because he wants no sin to be a barrier between us and him. He knows that will dissolve the relationship that we have with him. And so he wants our hearts to be tender towards the things that we, could, that we could have a proclivity towards that could draw us away from him. That's why we take communion. We remember 
the great sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Jesus says, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of what I did for you. Paul says to the Corinthian church, whenever you do this, examine your what? Your heart. And if there is anything in there that needs to be removed, you give that to the Lord. And I'm going to take it, here's, I'm going to take it this, I'm going to go here. Are you ready? I'm going to go here. Should I go here? Okay, I'm going to go here. No, someone's like, no, don't go there. I've had enough. Listen, be open enough in your life to be vulnerable to somebody you trust. Boy, it got real quiet in there. Really? Whether it's a good friend, it's your spouse, and ask this question. Is there anything that you see in my life that is inconsistent with my testimony for Jesus Christ? I dare you. I double dare, double dog dare you to do that, right? Listen, that's where it gets real. Because I can think I'm doing great, blah, 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 you know. I'm wonderful. And then somebody else speaks in your life, say, you know what, there's just something here. Not to beat up on the other person, but to speak into your life, make yourself, avail yourself to be open, to allow someone, humble enough to allow someone to speak, someone you trust, that you know that they love you and they're not out to beat you up, not out to hurt you, but enough to speak where you can be humble enough to say, yeah, I've got some shortcomings and I've got to work on them. Allow the Holy Spirit. That's, that's your walk in holiness. You're, you're open enough to realize that you're still a work in progress and God needs to do that work in your heart. Amen? So let's, let's listen, we're saved by grace. We're called to holiness. You pursue it with your life. You pursue holiness with your life as we strive to glorify Christ in our life. Amen? Father God, I thank you for your word today and I thank you for the purity of the gospel message. We need it. But Lord, not only do we need to know it, we need to live it. And I pray, Lord, that we would not only take the step of embracing it and being able to to share it with other people, but that the gospel message would have such a hold on my heart that I would be uh, um, vulnerable enough to allow someone trusted to speak into my life that if they see something that is inconsistent with my testimony, that they would love me enough to speak that. Lord, I pray that we would be vulnerable enough in our own prayer time with you to say, Holy Spirit, speak to the blind areas of my life that I would submit that to you and I would confess that to you because as a loving father, you discipline us because you love us and you care about our holiness. You care about it because you want nothing to come between our relationship with you. And a rebellious heart or a heart that is not open to correction will only stray from you and your voice and your promptings. So if we believe this message, then may there be fruit in our life that is consistent with the message that we've received in Christ Jesus. Change us today. And may we as a church never drift from that message. May we as individuals stay fervent in that gospel message in our own personal lives. 
thank you for your word. And as we come to the table today, as we take communion today, God, I pray that you would speak that to our hearts. We love you. We thank you. We ask these things. In Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, amen.